what a great joy it is every week to welcome folks uh, all around the country. Literally, we track where people uh, join us from, and it's uh, all around the country, sometimes around the world, and we're always grateful to have folks join us online. Uh, the chapter heading in my NIV study Bible this morning for our passage, which is Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, simply has the words, do not worry. Do not worry. But as simple as that sounds, I think we would all agree together today that worry is an unmistakable fact of life. Uh, everybody worries about something, at least on some level, and worry literally dominates the lives of some. But here's an important truth that we need to begin with. There's no redeeming side to worry. I hope we all understand that this morning. There's no redeeming side to worry. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 37, written by David. Look at what it says in Psalm 37 and verse 8. David says, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, which is just another word for worry, right? Everyone say right. Right. He says, do not fret. It leads only to evil. There's no redeeming side to worry. Worry leads, according to David, and remember he wrote this under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said it leads to evil. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 25. Look at that verse. The proverb writer says, an anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. I doubt there's anybody here this morning or watching online that doesn't know what it's like to feel a heavy heart because of some level of anxiety, some level of worry or fretting in your life. That's the reality of life for all of us, at least on some level. Well, the good news is Jesus has some really, really important things and positive things to say to us about overcoming worry today. And so, if you got your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6, go ahead and stand with me like we always do in reverence and respect for God's Word, and you follow along as I read verses 25 through 34. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of his word. I got a really, really simple outline for you today. In fact, there's just one point to it. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down next to number one, this one truth, because I think this is Jesus' message from verse 25 of Matthew 6 all the way down through verse 34. And his message is this, decide not to worry. That's his message. Now, I know I can just imagine what you're thinking, uh, because you're probably thinking that is way too simple. That's an overly simplified perspective or approach to this passage of Scripture, but I want you to think about something with me. Three different times in those verses, in that passage that we just read, Jesus says, do not 
worry. Three separate times. Do not worry. And that indicates to me that he's saying, in a sense, that worry is a choice that we make. If he says, do not worry, he's telling us that worry is our choice. Whether or not we worry is our choice. And so he says, do not worry. He says, choose not to worry. And then what he does, and this is the beauty of the passage and the beauty of Jesus as a teacher. What he does is he gives us that simple, basic instruction, and then in the next several verses, he helps us to be able to do that by teaching us exactly what worry is. He gives us a great teaching on what worry is. He tells us four things. First of all, write this down. First, he says, worry is unfaithful. Worry is unfaithful. If you go back to verse 25, you notice that Jesus begins the passage with the words, Therefore I tell you. Therefore I tell you. And then he says, Do not worry. Therefore I tell you, Do not worry. If you're a student of the Bible on any level, you know that the word therefore is always a bridge that takes us back to an earlier statement or an earlier truth. And in this case, it's a bridge back to the previous verse where Jesus says that a Christian can only have one master, and that master is God. In fact, look back at verse 24. We studied Matthew 6, 19 through 24 two weeks ago. Last week was our patriotic weekend, our Pray for America weekend. And so two weeks ago, we studied this. The last part of the passage was this. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says, you cannot serve both God and money. And so Jesus' point is simple. His point is, if God is your master, then you don't need to worry about the necessities of life. And so he's telling us that worry is unfaithful. Basically, Jesus says, stop worrying about your life. In fact, if you look back down there at verse 25, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. You ought to put your finger on the word life or you ought to underline the word life, circle the word life, highlight the word life, whatever you do. In the original language of the New Testament, that's the Greek word suke, and it's a comprehensive word that encompasses every single part of life, every single aspect of life, every aspect of your being, the physical, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. And so when Jesus says, stop worrying about your life, he's saying, stop worrying about your life in the fullest possible sense. Because if God is your master, then you don't have to worry about one single part of your life. And if you do, here, here's his point. And if you, if, if you say that God is my master, and, and yet you go through life worrying about your life, then you're being unfaithful. Because even though you're saying that God is your master, your actions are demonstrating that you have a fundamental distrust in God's ability to care for you. In fact, let me just go ahead and give you the harsh reality of worry this morning. I'm going to put some words up on the screen that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 14 and verse 23. It's not the entire verse. It's just the last part of the verse. But it's a pretty powerful statement. I want you to read the words with me. Let me hear your voices. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. Now, that's so significant. I want you to read it with me again. Read it. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. Let me ask you a question. Don't answer out loud. Does worry come from faith? I doubt any of us would say yes. I mean, look back at verses 28 through 30, where Jesus uses the illustration of the lilies of the field to talk about God's provision and God's care. He says, and why do you worry about clothes? 
See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Now note verse 30. He says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? And then what's the last thing he says? He says, oh, you of little what? Faith. Oh, you of little faith. Let me ask you a question again. Does worry come from faith? Absolutely not. This is the harsh reality of worry. And so the only conclusion you can draw is that to go through life filled with worry is to go through life with sin. It's a sin to worry. And that's why Jesus says when he teaches us to decide not to worry, he tells us right off the bat that worry is unfaithful. Don't worry. And Jesus isn't the only one who says this. Uh, maybe one of the most familiar verses in all of the Bible with regard to worry is what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, when he says, do not be anxious or do not worry about anything. See, this is the emphatic statement that we encounter from Jesus and the Apostle Paul in the Scriptures. You can decide not to worry. Why? Because worry is unfaithful. It's unfaithful. You know, the word Worry in the original language of the New Testament means to be troubled with cares, but on a more practical level, the English word worry comes from an old German word that means to choke or to strangle. And so what happens when our lives are filled with worry is that worry chokes and strangles the reality of God and the reality of the promises of God and the reality of the provision of God right out of our Bibles. It chokes us and strangles us to the point where we don't remember God and we don't remember what the Bible has to say about God. And so Jesus says, when he says, decide not to worry, he says, here's the first reason why, because worry is unfaithful. Worry is unfaithful. Worry promotes or projects a fundamental distrust in God's ability to be able to care for you. And worry is sinful. Here's the second thing he says about worry that helps us to decide not to worry. Number two, write this down. Worry is unnecessary. Number one, worry is unfaithful. Number two, he says worry is unnecessary. And and the basic uh, premise here is simple because it's really pretty much just an extension of this first point. He's basically telling us the person who lives with faith in God has no reason to worry because God is their heavenly father. And Jesus says, if God will make sure that the birds of the air are fed and the lilies of the field are adorned in matchless beauty, then how much more is he going to take care of you? The key is really found in that idea of God or that concept, that truth of God being our heavenly Father. The word Father really captures my attention when I read this passage of Scripture. I don't know what comes to mind when you hear the word Father. For some, it's probably a very positive thing because you had a great father and great memories of a father. For some, it's not that way because you didn't have a great father and you don't have great memories of a father. But we need to remember that, that Jesus is talking about God who is our perfect, our perfect heavenly Father. And because he's our perfect heavenly father, Jesus is telling us that not only is worry unfaithful, but worry is unnecessary because we can count on him to provide for us. I have two children. You know that. They're grown and out of the house. Trisha was up on the stage uh, this morning. And when they were kids growing up, I know that there were times when they worried about things. What did they worry about? Well, they worry about the things all kids worry about, right? All kids have a certain level of worry and anxiety in their lives related to to life and development and friends and opportunities and things like that. But I can guarantee you this morning, I can guarantee you that there was never a second in their lives where they worried about whether there was going to be a roof over their head or whether they were going to have clothes on their back or whether they were going to have food to eat. Because I provided, I made sure that it was a priority to provide for them in all those ways. And I am not a perfect father. 
How much more so when we talk about God, who is a perfect father? Is he going to provide for all of our needs? And so Jesus is saying when he says, decide not to worry, he says, first of all, because worry is unfaithful. But secondly, he says, because worry is absolutely unnecessary. God is a perfect heavenly father. He's going to provide for you. Then Jesus gives us a third reason why we should decide not to worry. Number one, because it's unfaithful. Number two, because it's unnecessary. Number three, because it's unreasonable. It's unreasonable. Go back to verses 31 and 32. This is where we see that. In verses 31 and 32, he says, and this is the second time he makes this statement, so do not worry. And then he goes on saying, what shall we eat or what, sh- or shall, or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? And then in verse 32, he says, for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Number three, worry is unreasonable. That word pagans is the one that stands out to me. That's not a word we use in our everyday conversation very often. I hope you don't go around calling people pagans in your, even no matter how badly you might want to at times. Uh, but it's not a word that we use very often in everyday language. That, that's, that word comes from the Greek word ethnos. You can see it up on the screen. And the word can be translated in a variety of different ways, but fundamentally it's a word that refers to an unbeliever, Okay. And so Jesus is basically drawing a contrast between believers, people who say that they live with faith, and unbelievers, people who don't live with any level of faith. And that's where this point or this emphasis that worry is unreasonable comes from. Because basically Jesus is saying that if unbelievers who have no faith in God run run around worrying about life and the necessities of life because... They have no other choice. Their lack of belief in God, their lack of faith in God gives them no other choice. Then it should be really different with people who are believers and who do live with faith in God. We should be different. A believer should be different than an unbeliever. A person of faith should live differently than a person of no faith. And in the context, Jesus is talking about with regard to whether or not you're going to worry about the basic necessities of life. If you're a person of faith, then your life should be different than somebody who claims no faith. That's the point that he's making. In fact, he goes on in verse 33, and he gives us a great description of what our faith should look like, what our testimony or our witness should look like, what our attitude should be with regard to God and the provisions of God. In verse 33, it's the most famous verse in this passage. He said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And when Jesus talks about things, when he says, and all these things will be given to you as well, he's talking about the physical needs of our lives, the necessities of our lives. We seek God and his kingdom. That's another way of saying we trust God. And so Jesus says, decide not to worry Number one, because worry is unfaithful. Number two, because worry is unnecessary. Number three, because worry is unreasonable. If you're a person of faith, if you're a believer and you're running around worried about life, you're no different than somebody who doesn't profess any faith, who's not a believer. Does that sound right to anybody this morning? That's not the way we're to live. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you or or given to you as well. Now, let me push the pause button here because I feel compelled to say that not only... As believers, as people of faith, not only do we need to trust God to meet the needs of our lives, but we need to to trust that God knows the needs of our lives and he knows the exact right time when those needs needs need to be met because it's so easy. How many of you know this is true? It's so easy to forget those things about God when things are not going well in our lives. 
It's, it's, it's easy sometimes to think, you know, God has forgotten about me or God doesn't know all about my needs when we're going through difficult experiences and we're not feeling like we're seeing the hand of God or hearing from God in any way, shape, or form. But how many of you know that God, as a part of knowing our needs and meeting our needs, how many of you know that God sometimes lets us go through difficult experiences because it's a part of his overall process to make us who he wants us to be? This is a fundamental biblical truth. Let me show you an example of that. Go down in Matthew 6, turn one. For me, it's just one page to the right until I get to Matthew chapter 8. I don't know how many pages it will be for you, but just go to Matthew chapter 8. There's a great story down there that you're probably familiar with about Jesus calming a storm. It begins in Matthew 8 and verse 23. It's very brief. Listen to it. Talking about Jesus here, it says, Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Now, you know what? Stop right there for a moment. This, in a sense, this could almost be a parallel passage for this passage we're studying in Matthew chapter 6. Because in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith. And he's talking about, why are you worrying? And here in Matthew 8, he says, he says to them, uh, uh, why, uh, you have little faith. And he says, why are you so afraid? So in, in, in many ways, there are parallel passages. So he replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. I don't know that we can understand how frightening this storm was. That word furious in the original language of the New Testament could be translated mega. It could be translated seismic. I've been at the Sea of Galilee. I've always read in books that talked about lands of the Bible, how these furious storms can come. The sea sits down in a little bit of a bowl and how they can come over the terrain so quickly and really stir up the water. And you can see that as you stand on the Sea of Galilee and you look around, there's gaps and, and V-shaped crevices in the terrain around and they be like wind tunnels and the wind can come whipping down there and just turn the sea into a raging nightmare just like that. And that's what this was. But let me ask you some questions about this storm. Do you think Jesus knew the storm was coming? Everyone say yes. Do you think Jesus could have stopped that storm before it started? Everyone say yes. Do you think Jesus had a plan for that storm? Everyone say yes. You started strong, you finished kind of weak there, but that's okay. <laughs> but sometimes, sometimes God chooses to demonstrate his faithfulness and his provision to us by allowing us to go through difficult circumstances and difficult experiences so that we can learn how to better trust him. You know what's really interesting about this story to me? The most interesting thing about it is that Jesus was in the boat sleeping. And let me ask you a question. This is going to sound like a weird question, but I want you to bear with me and think about it for a minute. Do you think Jesus, when he got in the boat, fell asleep, or do you think he went to sleep? Because the two are not the same. The two are not the same. Now, I talked about this last night to the folks who come at uh, uh, at 6 o'clock on Saturday evening, and I said, this is not really the case for you, but I can guarantee you that tomorrow at some point, 8.45, 10 o'clock, maybe even 11.30, there are going to be some people who come to church and they fall asleep. It's the craziest thing, and I see you, by the way. <laughs> they fall asleep. Now, I don't for one second think that anybody gets up on Sunday morning and thinks, oh, man, I'm really tired, I think I'll go to church and take a nap. I don't think anybody thinks that. I really don't. But this is an amazing thing to me. It's an amazing thing to me because I can't sleep sitting up. 
especially in a chair like these. I can't, you know, where there's no place to put your head and there's really no place to sleep. But some people have this amazing ability to just fall asleep in all kinds of positions. And sometimes that happens. And I'll look out there and I'll see, you know, you're good, you're good, you're good, and then you're gone, okay? <laughs> That's falling asleep. Now, after church on Sundays, especially now that we have three services, I'll go home. Sandy always prepares lunch for our family. My grandkids will be there. I'll play with my grandkids until it's time for them to go home. And then oftentimes, you know what I do? I find a place, and I go to sleep. I don't fall asleep. I go to sleep. See the difference between the two. So let me ask you a question. Let me ask you again. Do you think when Jesus got in the boat that he fell asleep or he went to sleep? I think he went to sleep. Why? Because he knew what was happening. And as a result, he provided those disciples with an absolutely unforgettable experience about the provision of God, even in the most frightening circumstance. You see the point here? And so we need to understand that worry is unreasonable. If you say that you're a person who has faith in God, that you're a believer. Jesus says, unbelievers worry. Believers, they trust. They live with faith. Then he gives us one more thing real quick, okay? So he begins by saying, decide not to worry. And here's why, because worry is, um, un wor worry is unfaithful. Worry is unnecessary. Worry is unreasonable. And then he says, because worry is unwise. And we see that in the very last verse of the passage. In verse 34, he says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What's he saying? It's not complicated. He's saying we need to live life one day at a time because that's all we can do anyway. We just need to live life one day at a time. I'm, let me illustrate this, and I'm going to say something that um, is going to make total sense to some people. And if you're younger, you're going to think this is the craziest thing I ever heard in my life. But let me ask you a question. How many of you here today, listening online, can remember when there were only three television channels to choose from? Okay, right? That was it. That was it. Only three choices. Nothing. This sounds crazy, crazy today to a younger generation that's always had cable television of some kind. But there was a time when there was only three channels that you could choose from. Well, let's just think about that being the case today, and they'll just say there are channels one, two, and three. Channel one is the past, channel two is the present, channel three is the future. Some people keep their television on channel one all the time, but that's not a good choice. Channel one is never a good choice because guess what? There's never anything new on channel one. Everything is always a repeat. Everything is always a rerun. There's never a new storyline on Channel 1. The picture's always in black and white, okay, because it's the past, and it's not a good channel to choose from. And then some people who are smart and who obey the words of Jesus keep their channel set on Channel 2 all the time. Channel 2 is great because Channel 2 is the present, which means Channel 2 is reality TV. It's reality TV. Everything's always up to date. I'm on reality TV for you right now, and I'm pouring everything that I have into this message because I want so desperately for you to understand how important it is not to worry and how we need to trust God in all things. I'm not thinking about last week's sermon. I'm not thinking about next week's sermon. I'm focused with all of my attention right here, right now. I'm living in the moment about Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. It's great. Channel 3 is the future. And just like Channel 1, it's not a good choice. You know why? Because here's the deal about Channel 3. The picture's never clear. Is there anything worse than turn on your television and have this snowy, staticky picture? That's the way Channel 3 is all the time. And it's not just the picture. It's the audio, too. And so you've got to get up real close and squint to try to... You've got to kind of read between the lines and figure out what's going on because it's not clear. You've got to put your ear up to the, to the 
TV and try to, try to hear what they're saying. And so you end up filling in the blanks, and it may or may not be correct. You never know exactly what's going on. And the programming's not good because here's, here's the way the, the programming is on Channel 3, which is the future. It seems to always be frightening. It seems to be horror stories, one horror story after another. And so people who all they do is watch Channel 3, which is the future, you know what emotions they're left with? They're left with worry, anxiety, and fear. And that is not the way God wants any of us to live. Let me tell you something. We were not made to live in the weight of the past we were made to live in the uncertainty of the future. Jesus says we were made to live in the moment, right now, in the moment. All right. Now, listen, I just gave you a really practical explanation of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. He said, choose, he said, decide not to worry, and here's why. Because worry is unfaithful, because worry is unnecessary, because worry is unreasonable, and because worry is unwise. But let's just talk about one other thing, and Tyson can come. Let's just talk about something real quickly for a moment. As, as, great, as great as that is, as great as that truth is, as much as we treasure that truth and we pull it into our hearts, we all know, look at me, all, everybody look at me, we all know that life sometimes is just really difficult, isn't it? And life is filled with frightening things. And life is filled with unknowns. And sometimes the temptation to worry is overwhelming. And some people battle that temptation a lot. I'm not ashamed to say that that's a temptation that I battle in my life a lot, the temptation to worry. Because I've been through some difficult experiences in my life. And a lot of you know some of those experiences. I mean, you go to the doctor and you find out you have a diagnosis that means that you don't know whether you're going to live or die. It's hard not to worry about that. It's hard not to worry about your wife and your children and what the future holds for them and those kinds of things. That's just one example. And I've had a front row seat to people for 37 years as a pastor who've gone through those kinds of experiences or worse, and life is difficult. So even understanding what the Scriptures teach us about worry sometimes may not be everything we need, and we need to find a way to incorporate some other tools into our lives to help us when the temptation to worry comes. And so I'm going to tell you what I do. When I really feel the temptation to worry, I'm going to tell you the three things that I do, and I'm going to encourage you to maybe do the same, and uh, we'll go from there. The first one is this. First, when that temptation to worry comes, when life is overwhelming, first we pray. First we pray. I mentioned Philippians 4 just a moment ago. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, some of my favorite verses in the Bible say, do not be anxious or do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then verse 7 comes along and says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We need to pray. First, we pray. When the temptation to worry comes, we pray. And as we pray, here's what we have to do. We have to find a way to cast our anxieties, cast our worries, cast our cares on God because God cares for us. First Peter 5, 7. Look at these words on the screen. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I, like, I think of it like this. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And that's what we do when we pray. We try to find a way, literally, to transfer those things from ourselves to God. I read the story this week about a guy who had just made himself a worry box, an anxiety box. And it was just a simple box, and he put a, a, a cut in the top of it. And he would, when worry would come, whatever it might be, he would write it down on a 3 by 5 card. He would fold it over, and he would drop it in the box and walk away from it. And for him, symbolically, that was a, and he was praying the whole time he did it. Symbolically, that was a way to take his worry and cast it on the Lord and then walk away from it. We've got to find a way to do that. So first we pray. Second. We change the way we think. 
you want to battle the temptation to worry, then you've got to change the way you think. Okay, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, we just quoted those. The very next verse, Philippians 4, 8, Paul goes on to say, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, he says, think about such things. You, got, you, you know what you need if you want to battle temptation, the temptation to worry? Then when, that, when those, those worrisome thoughts come into your mind, you've got to replace them with, with, and this is what I call them, this is what I think of them, you've got to find your go-to thoughts when worry threatens you. You've got to find your go-to thoughts. So here's what I do. When, when I'm, it doesn't matter where I'm at uh, or what I'm doing, but when those worrisome thoughts start to come into my mind, I literally shake my head no. I shake my head literally. I mean, if you're ever with me, I just might look so I'm having a seizure. But I'm, I shake my head no. And that is, that's significant for me because I'm saying, I'm not going to think about that. No, no, I'm not going to think about that. And then, I, and then I've got my go-to thoughts. You gotta, I, my go-to thoughts probably won't work for you. You've got to find your own. They can be verses of Scripture that are meaningful to you. They can be memories of times when you were in a difficult circumstance, but God rescued you. You got memories like that? You got stories like that? How God walked you through the trials of life? These are our go-to thoughts. The third thing we do, or the third thing I do, and the third thing I would say to you is, the third thing is we worship. And here's my thought process behind that. Worship and worry are the exact opposites. Worship and worry are the exact opposites. And we would all be much happier in life if we were worshipers instead of worriers. And worship looks like a lot of different things because worship essentially just means reverence for God that brings us into the presence of God. Because I love music, the worship that makes a difference for me is music. And so when I'm really being bombarded by this temptation to worry, then oftentimes I'll just turn on worship music that, that, that reminds me of the great truths of God, that soothes my heart and my mind, and that takes me into the presence of God, and that helps me learn, or that helps me overcome the temptation to worry. And so that's how we're going to close our service today. I'm thankful for our prayer counselors, but we're not going to be using our prayer counselors this morning. Uh, Tyson is going to sing the first verse of a song, and here's what I want you to do. We're going to bring the lights down a little bit. I want you just to bow your heads in just a worshipful position. I want you to listen to these words and um, let them sweep over your heart and your mind today, especially if you're battling worry on some level about something in your life, and then I'll come back and we'll, we'll sing some together. In the morning when I rise in the morning when I rise in the morning when I rise give me Jesus give me Jesus give me
Father in heaven, give us a fresh glimpse of Jesus.